0: If we don't act, we also make a new normal. And that new normal is any president going forward can uh, take an oath of office, four years later lose, then decide to uh, go against that oath, say he won or she won, incite violence, and try to stop the transfer of power. Only this time it's not going to be you know, a guy with viking horns <laughs> and a bunch of people with poles and makeshift weapons. If this becomes the new normal, what does the next one look like? Bigger crowd? Better weapons? More blood? Just ask.
1: I fall off my chair Pacifica Radio in still rainy Los Angeles, this is the broadcast As heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding, on KFOI and Round Mountains, KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast, on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Fairmont, West Virginia on WEFR. Seattle's KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950K, TNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly, investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from brandblog.com, now celebrating 20 years of troublemaking and muckraking. Thank you very much for joining us today for the broadcast. We've got some big news, if incredibly ridiculous news, frankly. <laughs> True. <laughs> But uh, news that we have been waiting on for about a month now from the federal court, which we will get to momentarily and some potentially even bigger news now very much pending at the U.S. Supreme Court this week, which we will also get to with my guest in a bit. But quickly, a few other items of note before we get to all of that today. As the unrelenting rain continues out here in Los Angeles and in much of Southern California, where for uh, the third day now in a row, it just keeps going and going and going. Yeah, it
0: really has not stopped raining, which is really, really weird for California.
1: It's getting kind of uh blade runnery out here <laughs> it if definitely you definitely is at this point. Here in Los Angeles. Hi, Desi Doyen. Hi. Uh, as AP reports this afternoon, one of the wettest storms in Southern California history has now unleashed more than 300 mudslides in the Los, Air- Los Angeles area alone after dumping more than half of the city's seasonal rainfall in just two days. And officials warn that the threat has not yet passed. Officials express relief, however, that the storm hadn't killed anyone at least not down here in L.A., or caused any major catastrophes just yet. So far, despite its size and intensity, though three people were killed up in Northern California as the storm came ashore over the weekend with strong winds that toppled trees. L.A. Mayor Karen Bass thanked residents for heeding calls to stay off Los Angeles roads, and they did, by the way. Yes, they did. The the, the traffic uh, to and from the studio yesterday was much less than we normally encounter. And uh, the mayor urged people to continue doing so through the end of at least Tuesday when the rain was finally expected to stop. I'll believe it when I see it. So we're just fine, but boy, is this a lot of rain. And even after it stops, hopefully on Wednesday, there will be still be the threat of mudslides and debris slides as the slow-moving storm that began on Sunday and then parked itself could still produce fierce downpours of up to an inch an hour, according to the National Weather Service. That could be particularly precarious since the soil is already saturated after back-to-back atmospheric rivers that walloped California in less than a week. Crews have responded to 307 mudslides, again, only in L.A., Uh, And five buildings that have been uh, deemed uninhabitable. Another seven were yellow tagged so residents could go back to get their belongings but could not stay there because of the damage. Overall, so far, that's actually pretty good news. An evacuation order remains in place for some residents in Benedict Canyon here in L.A., an area scarred by a 2022 fire and now at increased risk of landslides because of it. Fires, as you may recall, contributed to the uh, tragic 2018 mudslide in Montecito, that's near Santa Barbara, that destroyed 130 homes and killed 23 people, making it one of the deadliest in California history. So far, we have yet to see anything like that on that level. So overall, not bad. But not over just yet. Desi will have more on what may be causing this sort of thing. I can't imagine.
0: (laughs) What that might be.
1: In our latest Green News report a little bit later this hour. Meanwhile, in Nevada, where they are also feeling the effects of this atmospheric river today, voters were heading to the polls on Tuesday. Sort of. It is primary election day on Tuesday in the state, but turnout is going to be low and confusion will be high. The potential for low turnout in the all-male primaries... That's all by mail. It's not, you know, they they let women vote. Uh, the, The low turnout, though, potentially is for two reasons. On the Democratic side, President Joe Biden is facing little competition. He's likely to see numbers akin to those that he received over the weekend. At the uh, Democrats' first in the nation primary this year in South Carolina, where Joe Biden picked up more than 96% of the vote, reportedly. And two challengers, Congressman Dean Phillips of Minnesota and self-help author. Is that the right way to describe her?
0: Yeah, uh, close enough.
1: Yeah, Marion Williamson. Uh, and and Phillips, they split the rest of the 4% of that vote. Similar results are expected on the Democratic side out of Nevada from Tuesday. On the GOP side, however, turnout may be low and confusion high. Uh, As the current frontrunner for the nomination, the four-time indicted former president, Donald Trump, he's not even on the primary ballot. So when the state decided to move to an all-male, all-by-male primary system (laughs) instead of a caucus system. Well, Trump objected to that, so the state GOP decided to have a caucus instead of a primary and award all of the state's delegates that way, via the caucus. Meanwhile, the state-run primary, that's going forward anyway. Trump opted out of that, out of the primary election, He's not going to even be on the ballot, but his one remaining competitor, Nikki Haley, she will be on the ballot, but she won't be on the caucus ballot where Donald Trump will and where uh, therefore uh He's almost certain to receive all of the state's GOP delegates.
0: Yeah, this is going to be like a Saddam Hussein level of victory for Trump. There you go. Since he's the only one, pretty much, on the ballot. Yeah, it,
1: it's it's all ridiculous and, and stupid. Rigged. She's on and rigged. Thank you. She's on the primary ballot. He's on the caucus ballot. Only the caucus ballot will get delegates to the Republican National Convention in July. But that's how the Republican Party seems to roll these days, particularly in Nevada, where the chair of that state's Republican Party is actually facing trial in just a few weeks after his criminal indictment for attempting to steal the 2020 presidential election when he pretended to be one of the state's legitimate presidential electors. But he wasn't. Because the Democrat Joe Biden actually won the state of Nevada that year. So this guy is a pretender, but now he's ahead of the Republican Party in Nevada and went along with this scheme just before going to trial. Nonetheless, we hope that uh, everyone who wanted to vote on Tuesday was able to do so without issue in the primaries and that they will be able to do so as well at the GOP caucuses on Thursday this week, yes, just two days after the primaries. So we'll try to keep our eyes on that, kind of. And speaking of attempting to steal the 2020 presidential election, well, we have the long-awaited, very big ruling, finally today, in an incredibly stupid, (laughs) though so far uh, somewhat fruitful, uh, appeal that uh, was filed by Donald Trump, Uh, in his uh, criminal indictment for having attempted to steal the 2020 election. After a full month, the three-judge federal appeals court panel featuring two Joe Biden-appointed judges and one arch-conservative judge appointed by George H.W. Bush, I believe. Uh, Those three judges are overseeing this ridiculous appeal. Well, they finally returned their unanimous decision. No, as Donald Trump's attorneys had argued, President Joe Biden is not actually allowed to legally order SEAL Team 6 to murder Donald Trump. Of course, when Trump's attorneys argued as much, they didn't argue that Joe Biden could murder Donald Trump, but that any president could actually do so, could actually call up uh, SEAL Team 6 and order them to kill their political opponent That would be legal. There's nothing anyone could do about that. Presidents are 100 percent immune from any sort of criminal charges for anything that they do while serving as president. That is actually Trump's argument. Shocking that the three judges didn't go along with it. (laughs) Even though, by the way, during his impeachment trial... His second impeachment trial, the one for inciting the January 6th, 2021 insurrection, during that trial, Donald Trump's own attorneys argued that uh, he shouldn't have to face impeachment or that if he was, he should be acquitted because after leaving office, he could be held criminally accountable. The exact opposite of what he was arguing at the appeals court.
0: Well, that was then. This is now.
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Were they kidding then? Were uh, they kidding now? <laughs> Who knows anything to get them off the hook? Of course, it is such a ridiculous argument that I'm loath to even spend much time on the, the ruling today. But for the fact that it actually has worked in uh, for now, it has delayed Trump's criminal case. It was removed the, the um, previous uh, March 4 date for that day before Super Tuesday, by the way. That date was removed from the calendar of uh, U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin just last Friday, given the delay that the three-judge panel had in returning what is now their 57-page ruling, denying all of Trump's arguments in full on Tuesday. For now, I I think uh, pretty much all you need to bother yourself with as far as the substance of the ruling itself, pretty much all you need is found in the first two paragraphs of the per decision. That means it was unanimous. So I'll share with you those first two paragraphs, and then you pretty much got everything legally that you need to know. Politically, that's a different matter. But legally, Donald J. Trump, they write, was elected the 45th president of the United States on November 8, 2016. He was sworn into office at noon on January 20, 2017, and served until his term expired at noon on January 20, 2021. At that moment, President Trump became former President Trump, and his successor, Joseph R. Biden, became president and began his own four-year term. Although this sequence is set by the Constitution, it did not proceed peacefully. Indeed, from Election Day 2020 forward, the government alleges that President Trump denied that he had lost his bid for a second term and challenged the election results through litigation, pressure on state and federal officers, the organization of an alternate slate of electors and other means. His alleged interference in the constitutionally prescribed sequence culminated with a Washington, D.C. rally held on January 6, 2021, the day set by the Electoral Count Act for the Congress to meet in joint session to certify the election results. The rally, headlined by President Trump, resulted in a march of thousands to the Capitol and the violent breach of the Capitol building. The breach delayed the congressional proceedings for several hours, and it was not until the early morning of January 7th that the 2020 presidential election results were certified, naming Joseph R. Biden as the soon-to-be 46th president. Since then, hundreds of people who breached the Capitol on January 6, 2021, have been prosecuted and imprisoned, And on August 1, 2023, in Washington, D.C., former President Trump was charged in a four-count indictment as a result of his actions challenging the election results and interfering with the sequence set forth in the Constitution for the transfer of power from one president to the next. Former President Trump moved to dismiss the indictment, and the district court denied his motion. Today... We affirm the denial. For the purpose of this criminal case, former President Trump has become citizen Trump with all of the defenses of any other criminal defendant. But any executive immunity that may have protected him while he served as president no longer protects him against this prosecution. That's the first two paragraphs of this uh, 57-page ruling, and frankly, it is all you need to know. That's it. That's all you need to know about the decision itself. There will be, of course, much discussion, uh, no doubt, about all of this on the cable channels and the social media outlets, uh, you know, for the next 24 hours or so. Because, well, you know, they got to fill 24 hours with something, (laughs) something to talk about. But the bottom line, former presidents are not criminally immune for crimes that they carried out or were alleged to have carried out while serving as president. End of story. That's the ruling from the three-judge panel on the D.C. Court of Appeals. Now, what that means for the timeline of, uh, of Trump's trial, well, that is still very much an open question. As Washington Post reports today, a federal appeals court has unanimously ruled that Donald Trump can be put on trial for trying to stay in power, why don't they just say trying to steal the election? <laughs> for trying to stay in power after losing the 2020 election, they're willing to say he lost the election, but trying to stay in power. Uh, anyway, uh, the the court rejected Trump's sweeping claims of presidential immunity and moving the case one step closer to a jury panel of three judges wrote, We cannot accept former President Trump's claim that a president has unbounded authority to commit crimes that would neutralize the most fundamental check on executive power. Nor can we sanction his apparent contention that the executive has carte blanche to violate the rights of individual citizens to vote and to have their votes counted. Trump has already indicated that he plans to ask the full U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit and the Supreme Court to review uh, the Tuesday immunity ruling, which would give him about 100 more days, more than 100 days of delay. But the three-judge panel actually, thankfully, set tight deadlines for that review. They said it would be, uh, they would put the ruling on hold, but only until February 12th. So, N- until next Monday.
0: Until the day after the Super Bowl. Oh, there you go. It's yep. Super Bowl Sunday, is it?
1: Who's Taylor Swift voting uh, rooting for in that? Because, <laughs> oh, uh, let's not go uh, there. As I understand that's the only thing that matters. Anyway, we'll get to that another time. So, uh, yes, the day after the Super Bowl, uh, by then he will need to have filed with the Supreme Court because the uh, three-judge panel said they would not wait uh, for the uh, for the full D.C. court to weigh in. So if he wants to prevent this from being sent back down to the U.S. District Court, where it will be put back on the calendar, he needs to uh, appeal to the Supreme Court by Monday, February 12th. His legal arguments, however, while they keep failing in court, the Post correctly notes that even the rulings against him— aid his goal of delaying any federal trial in D.C. until after the presidential election, in which he's the Republican frontrunner and he hopes to, you know, sort of order all of this stuff away if he wins the election. So the question now is, will the Supreme Court accept a petition to hear this case? And, you know, stay the uh, appeals court ruling until they have heard and issued an opinion on this, which could be very quick if they want it to be. See, Bush v. Gore back in 2000, it was decided in a matter of days, or it could, the court could just push everything back. It'd take the case, think about it for a while, release their ruling In June, when the high court, or July, when the high court usually releases the bulk of its opinions. We don't know. Or they could choose to not hear the matter at all, allowing the unanimous bipartisan lower court ruling to stand as it currently is. That would allow Judge Chutkin to restore the trial, as I said previously, scheduled to begin on March 4. Uh, She'd be able to get it onto her calendar ASAP whenever that is. Now, as I understand it, five Supreme Court justices, I believe, would be need would need to vote in favor of hearing this uh, this appeal on the uh, six to three Republican supermajority court. So we will see as our friend Mark Joseph Stern. Ace Legal Reporter at Slate notes today on Twitter, he says, quote, The D.C. Circuit opinion is extraordinarily thorough and unimpeachable. But, he writes, I still think SCOTUS will want to have the last word in this case, even if it amounts to, quote, the D.C. Circuit got it right, even if that's their opinion, to just agree with the D.C. Circuit. And he notes uh, they will have that urge to step in, and it may lead the justices to delay the trial beyond 2024. Now, Mark is usually right about that stuff. We'll see if he is again. I'm hoping he is not. The ruling on Tuesday comes just two days before the Supreme Court considers another untested question raised by Trump's candidacy, one that in some sense is arguably an even larger matter. Can the former president be barred entirely by Section 3 of the 14th Amendment's insurrectionist disqualification clause from even being on the ballot in the first place, much less returning to the White House at all after his having engaged in insurrection on January 6th? As determined, by the way, by bipartisan majorities, majorities of both the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate, and now by the Colorado State Supreme Court which has barred him from the ballot this year, pending a ruling, to the contrary, by the U.S. Supreme Court. The hearing in that case is on Thursday at the high court. It could result in Trump being banned from running in all 50 states. Brad Blog legal contributor Ernie Canning wrote about that this week, and he joins us next for a a bit of a preview for what he describes as the enormous decision now pending at the Supreme Court. I'm Brad Friedman, and you're listening to The Bradcast.
0: The Bradcast and The Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks.
2: All my
1: trials, Lord. Soon be I don't know about that. Don't count on it. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Thanks to our friend KCP for the uh, suggestion of that bumper music. Norma Anderson left the Colorado legislature nearly two decades ago, but she still keeps copy of the state statutes in her home office. She carries a pocket constitution in her purse. She has another copy slightly larger with images of the founding fathers on the cover that she leaves on a table in her sitting room so she can consult it when she watches TV. She's turned down a page corner in that copy to mark the spot where the 14th Amendment appears. She has reread it several times since joining a lawsuit last year that cites the amendment in seeking to stop Donald Trump from running for president. Anderson is 91 years old. And, as the Washington Post reports, is the unlikely face of a challenge to Trump's campaign that will be heard by the Supreme Court on Thursday. She was a force in Colorado politics for decades. She served as the first female majority leader in both chambers of the legislature. And she is a Republican. But she has long been skeptical of Trump and believes he is an insurrectionist who crossed a verboten line on January 6, 2021, that should bar him from holding office ever again. Quote, he tried to overturn an election, she said. The very first time I ever ran, I didn't win. I didn't go out and try to challenge the election. I said, whoops, work harder next time, lady. When Norma Anderson was asked by an attorney if she'd like to join this case, her response was, well, the short answer was yes, and the long answer was hell yes. She gave some remarks to The Washington Post recently.
0: My biggest concern is losing our democracy. Donald Trump believes very strongly that if you tell a lie often enough, and many, many times people will believe it, He proved the case. He committed insurrection. Do
2: you trust this court to make the right decision?
0: I've always trusted the courts before. I don't think the younger generation truly understand how close they are to losing their democracy. I was born a Republican. My family was a Republican, raised a Republican. I'm one of those weird people. I read the Constitution quite often.
1: As Norma Anderson. The 2024 election could turn on whether the Supreme Court agrees with her and five other Republicans and independent voters who persuaded Colorado's top court to rule that Trump is ineligible to run again. The justices, three of whom were nominated by Trump, are expected to quickly decide the historic Trump v. Anderson case, with their ruling likely, as the Post argues, to apply across all 50 states. Although considered a legal long shot, a decision in Anderson's favor would jolt American politics by preventing the GOP frontrunner from continuing his campaign. The case is built on the 14th Amendment, which we have been talking about on this show going back now for uh, about three years Glad that everyone else has uh, begun to notice it. The 14th Amendment, Section 3, it was adopted three years after the end of the Civil War to guarantee rights for the formerly enslaved and to prevent Confederates from returning to power. That latter provision, known as Section 3, is written broadly to say those who engage in insurrection after taking an oath to support the Constitution cannot hold office. Anderson's lawsuit argues Trump cannot appear on Colorado's March 5 primary ballot because he engaged in insurrection before and during the January 6 attack. And Colorado's high court agreed in a 4 3 ruling in December. Trump appealed that case to the Supreme Court. U.S. Supreme Court, and they will hear the matter on Thursday morning with the audio of that hearing streamed live beginning at 10 a.m. Eastern time and 7 a.m. out here on the West Coast that morning. They may be the most consequential hearings before the court in decades, perhaps ever, depending on how one looks at it. The debates over whether Section 3 can block Trump from office have not always followed clean ideological lines. Some prominent conservative scholars have contended Trump should be deemed ineligible for office, even as some liberals have argued that the best way to shore up democracy is instead to defeat Trump at the ballot box. The conventional wisdom appears to be that despite the strength of the ruling by the Colorado Supremes, the U.S. Supremes, three appointed by Trump himself, will come up with some reason to strike down that Colorado ruling, which has already led to disqualification from the ballot in Maine as well for Donald Trump. As Politico noted this week, there's no way the Supreme Court is going to kick Donald Trump off the ballot, right? They then went on to, Uh, uh, to speak to a bunch of political analysts and legal scholars and security experts uh, and ask them to presume that he was kicked off the ballot by the Supremes. And if so, what might happen then? That consensus in general seems to be that there would be some amount of political violence in its wake. But as a number of the experts noted, there was also likely to be violence no matter how they ruled, particularly if Donald Trump were to win office again and exercise it himself against the American people. As one of the experts, UCLA election law professor and author Rick Hassan observes in the piece, no matter how the Supreme Court rules in the Trump disqualification case, some people are going to be angry. If the ruling comes out that Trump is in fact disqualified, it will be hard to paint it as partisan or liberal There are only three Democratic-appointed justices on the court, he notes, so a ruling against Trump would require the votes of at least two Republican-appointed judges. My greatest concern, he adds, of a ruling uh, disqualifying is not therefore about a hit to the court's legitimacy, but the potential for violence. That's not a reason for the court to avoid doing what's right, he notes, but it is a reason to be prepared for anything, especially given Trump's track record in encouraging violence when he doesn't get his way, which is what got us to this point in the first place. No matter how they rule, it is a hearing and a matter of enormous import, argues Brad Blog legal contributor Ernest A. Canning in a short piece at the blog this week. As he notes that while it has only been a month since the high court accepted this case, there have been some 50 Emickey briefs, friend of the court briefs, filed by a passel of experts and organizations since then, arguing both for and against disqualification for Donald J. Trump under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. And Ernie Canning joins us now. Mr. Canning, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. How are you today, Brad? Oh, hanging in there, trying to stay dry. I hope you're doing the same. I had uh, hoped, Ernie, to have a bit more time to talk to you today about what we might expect from these uh, historic arguments on Thursday in the uh, oral arguments at the Supreme Court. Uh, But since uh, the long-awaited ruling from the three-judge panel on the D.C. Court of Appeals finally came in on Tuesday, unanimously deciding that no, contrary to Trump's ridiculous arguments, President's are not criminally immune from prosecution for crimes they committed while serving as president. So I wanted to get a few thoughts on that. First, uh, your, your top line response to the ruling by the unanimous ruling by two Biden appointed judges and one very conservative George H W Bush judge on Tuesday.
2: Yeah, I read the opinion. It's very well written. Um, The most interesting thing to me, um, if you recall, there was an issue about uh, jurisdiction, and they worked their way through that and determined they did have jurisdiction, but then uh, went on to basically scorch the arguments that that had been made on behalf of Trump uh, for absolute immunity. And uh, um, the important thing that they did here was the mandate will come down next Monday unless... Trump files a petition Mm -hmm. for certiorari before then and notifies the clerk of that. Mm -hmm. If he tries to delay it by simply going up to ask for a rehearing before the full uh, D.C. Circuit—that's uh-huh. not going to delay the mandate—and the case will be back before Judge Chutkin at that point.
1: So the mandate—that is essentially—they uh, send the mandate down to the to the back to the lower court. Once Judge Chutkin has the mandate, she can then reschedule the uh, the trial. Is that correct? She can
2: get moving immediately. That that'll be the that'll be uh, the way it goes now. He might have more time to file a petition for cert, but that's not going to change anything Mm -hmm. from that point forward because it's entirely discretionary with the court. And I see very good reasons why the Supreme Court would duck the issue altogether and simply summarily deny cert leaving the case before Judge Chutkin.
1: And so if they deny cert... That means they're not going to hear the case. That means that the three-judge panel's ruling will be the final word, and the three-judge panel has already said that if the Supreme Court does not uh, take the case, it will be sent back to the uh, lower court for trial. Exactly. Do Do you spot anything, Ernie Canning, that the uh, that the high court might feel they do need to ring in on in the uh, in the D.C. appeals decision? Are there any particular cracks in the uh, in the in the court's reasoning or anything that they might have left open or ambiguous that SCOTUS might want to have a say in here? You know, our friend uh, Mark Joseph Stern over at Slate has said. You know, it's a really kind of an airtight case, but he thinks that the Supreme Court may want to have the final word on things. And so they will take the case and and thus delay it, perhaps beyond the election.
2: Well, I I think that the I have to tell you that the arguments both in that case and in the disqualification case Mm -hmm. are so one sided in in terms of the quality of the briefs and and the legal reasoning that there really is no reason why the court would want to take up that case. And it may be rendered somewhat moot if, uh, if the court uh, decides uh, very promptly that uh, Trump is disqualified from office, which would totally change the whole dynamics of all of those four cases uh, uh, against Trump.
1: Well, it would, although it does seem like a, a long shot, at least if you listen to the conventional wisdom on all of this. I know that— uh, you sort of had a have had some thoughts contrary to that. I have as well because when you look at the ruling that from Colorado that the Supreme U.S. Supreme Court will be looking at, I mean, it does seem pretty airtight, um, you know, and, and and frankly conservative, textualist, originalist, all of that. Let's let's talk about that case because it's led to his qual- disqualification of both Colorado and Maine so far, but it could lead to disqualification in all 50 states. As I mentioned, you write about the, quote, enormity of this issue as measured by simply, frankly, the number of friend-of-the-court briefs ringing in on the matter. Is that unusual for cases at the Supreme Court, for there to be 50 briefs?
2: This is an extraordinarily unusual uh, number of briefs, and but it's also extraordinary in terms of the the scope and breadth of the expertise That's been weighed in. And by the way, it's not just for or against. There have been a number of briefs where they filed them and said, we're not filing these in support of either party. Mm. So um, and, and, you know, they would be addressing specific issues. But in terms of of what what, what
1: kind of issues do if you're not for or against the argument, how do you what what kind of issues uh, might they be informing the court about?
2: Well, for example, the one brief I, I quoted in the piece, which was uh, by these, uh, a set of constitutional scholars, mm-hmm. uh, was saying that if you decide before June mm-hmm. that, that Trump is disqualified, uh, what that would do was allow the delegates to the Republican National Convention to make a decision about selecting someone other than the disqualified candidate, mm-hmm. so you'd basically be freeing them up. And of course, uh, Norma Anderson's attorneys have argued that for a, a much earlier determination. And and you know even though a lot of people are saying that you know you'd be depriving people of democracy, actually it would expand democracy because if if the court came down. With a decision that Trump is disqualified before Super Tuesday, Mm -hmm. Republican voters would be able to make an informed decision as to whether they wanted to waste their vote on someone who is not qualified or select another candidate.
1: Uh, Super Tuesday is about a month away. You think that they actually might hear this case on Thursday and then come back with their ruling prior prior to March 5th?
2: With the lightning-fast scheduling they gave with this case, yes, I do. What I don't think is possible, Norma Anderson's attorneys wanted them to make a ruling by uh, the 11th of this month because of the needs with within uh, uh, putting on the ballot in Colorado, and there's no way they're going to get it done that quickly.
1: Now, uh, is there anything else, uh, any of the other arguments that uh, in those 50 50- uh, Amici briefs that uh, came in in this case uh, that sort of jumps out at you one way or another above and beyond the the basic arguments of this case, and we'll get to some of those questions in a minute.
2: Yeah, well, there were, there were a lot of briefs by historians that lay out just how clear it is that the that the idea that that somehow uh, Trump would not be disqualified uh, just is at odds with with the entire history of the Fourteenth Amendment. Mm-hmm. But the really interesting briefs that caught my eye, aside from uh, Judge Ludig's brief, which is it just, I think uh, Lawrence Tribe described it as masterful, but there mm-hmm. was a brief filed by the last brief that came in, amicus brief that came in, was from a group of international scholars. And uh, what they were studying was the uh, was the way in which political violence has undermined uh, the other democracies and how uh, Trump has normalized political violence and relentlessly uh, undertook not only to undermine democracy but also to undermine the rule of law and what they were saying is that that uh, in those cases the courts have have ultimately been the one thing that can protect the democracy against that type of erosion and and so they they basically said that the courts have played the essential role in restoring democracy's guardrails mm-hmm. so what the, they're basically encouraging the court to do that in this instance and to do it swiftly
1: you uh, had you mentioned uh, the um the brief from uh, judge michael Luddig, a very conservative uh former appeals court judge well respected considered many times for the supreme court We talked a little bit about that brief on this uh, on this show. He's basically saying, hey, Supreme Court, you can't find some narrow thing to send this back down to avoid a ruling. It's your job as the Supreme Court to make a definitive ruling here one way or another, because if they don't, uh, the questions will just you know go on and on and get uh, you know worse and worse. People will get more and more angry and more and more yes, violent. As so many of those experts said, do do courts and judges actually pay attention? I mean, they got fifty briefs here. Do they actually pay attention to these sorts of? Well, briefs?
2: I, I think that if there's any integrity, they would, particularly because keep in mind that judge Ludig. Wrote his brief, as did, by the way, uh, Anderson's rather brilliant attorneys, from this originalist construction uh, perspective that the uh, that the conservative justices have always claimed to be, and they and they're quoting at length from you know from Alito and mm-hmm. other people that have written before, and 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 laying out how if you follow that rationale of what the intent was, what the actual language was. There's no way you can come to a decision other than the fact that the um, that the that the D- Donald Trump is disqualified within the meaning of of the statute. And the other thing I you know I didn't mention in the article, but having read the Anderson brief uh, uh, which was masterful is a key point that they make in that is to reveal the the extraordinary extent to which the Colorado courts uh, went to assure that donald trump had due process in these proceedings Mm -hmm. they'd filed their petition on september 30th and and they would have normally had within five days been able to to have a a trial in the matter and at trump's request they extended it all the way to october 30 and in that time They gave Trump all the discovery in terms of all the fact and expert witnesses and reports. Mm -hmm. And the court had uh, invited uh, Trump to go ahead and and conduct depositions in that time if he wanted to. Mm -hmm. They declined to do so. Uh, During the trial, he had every every right to put evidence in. He didn't even use up all of his time. He could have uh, obtained, by the way, during that intervening period – Depositions from people that he could offer into evidence at the time of trial, rather than so that they get everything in on the trial. And they and they had, uh, I think, it was something like 15 fact and expert witnesses in the case. And the court weighed it all. And the amazing thing I found in it, because I've never seen this in a brief, but the Anderson brief contains when you get to the issue of an insurrection, you know, they say pictures a thousand words. They have pictures of. Uh, color photo snapshots of the insurrection itself. For example, on the issue when Trump issues that uh, Pence tweet, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, they show one snapshot where the crowd is behind these lines, and then immediately after Trump issues that tweet involving incitement, how the crowd surged forward. So, uh So...
1: yeah, well, there, there's a lot of questions, I guess, that they're going to—I uh, mean, the simple question is, did uh, the Colorado Supreme Court err in disqualifying Trump? But among the questions expected to be raised with the attorneys uh, arguing both for and against disqualification on Thursday, uh, some seemingly seemingly straightforward questions. Did Trump engage in insurrection? Well, the Colorado Supremes ruled that he did, and they made a pretty lengthy case— Uh, As you're describing, is the office of uh, of then president uh, is the office of the president an office of the United States, the lower court in Colorado said, actually, that was a close call, but ultimately ruled it was not that the office of. The president is somehow not an office of the U.S., which seems patently absurd to me. Is Section 3 self-executing, or does it require that Congress pass a law? Well, if the issues of the 14th Amendment were not self-executing, then that essentially means that if Congress canceled all of the laws uh, that enforce the 14th Amendment, there would be no constitutional right to due process as mandated also by the 14th. That seems absurd, but here's one, Ernie, that did catch my eye. Does uh, f- 14.3 require the that insurrectionists can't hold office, but can run for office? That seems ridiculous, of course. But... Well, I'll tell you
2: who, th- who thought that was an absurd art, and that was the argument made in the, in the reply brief that Trump's attorneys filed. Right. Uh, Neil Katyal addressed that and just... Underscore the absurdity. If looking at it from a perspective of of democracy and the, and the right of people to choose, if you're going to allow somebody you know is not qualified to be on a ballot, what you're doing is you're is you're basically suckering people into voting for somebody who can't be eligible and enter office. It'd be like saying. Uh, that well, then why not put Arnold Schwarzenegger on the ballot because, you know he wasn't born in this country. I wasn't born in this country, and neither of us would be qualified. Yes, but, but uh,
1: you know, yes, but Ernie, the Fourteenth Amendment also says that the uh, that Congress can essentially waive this uh, uh, this insurrection requirement by a vote of two-thirds of Congress. So the argument well, see,
2: that's that's also puts the cart before the horse. If if somebody is disqualified, then they can seek—and, in fact, the historians put this in their brief—how many members of the Confederacy had asked Congress to give them that waiver. Uh-huh. But the, the, that's different from the issue of determining whether somebody is disqualified in the first entrance. Yes, right now, in fact, the, uh, this, there are some Republicans in Congress t- talking about it. They could seek a, a ruling in Congress after the court disqualified him to ask uh, that that the Congress waive his disqualification. Right. And if the, if you get two thirds of both houses right. to make that ruling, at that point, you could overcome a Supreme Court's final decision that he's not qualified. But, mm-hmm. you know, um, if you think the court doing the right thing here is is a long shot, that mm-hmm. one is beyond the long well, shot, we will, it's, a, it's absurd. We
1: will see, we will see, Ernie, because I think that the court is going to be reaching for anything they can, to essentially, you know, rule that the Constitution is not constitutional. Um, but, you know, and I don't know where you fall on on, on this, but, uh, you know, I think Biden, frankly, has a better chance of winning against someone like Donald Trump than uh, Nikki Haley. Uh, so it's not necessarily what I may wish uh, the court to do to disqualify Donald Trump, but the Constitution is the Constitution. It says what it says, and as an actual constitutional conservative, frankly, I think that it should either be followed or you know, amended by the process to, to do so if you don't like what it says, but it should not simply be annulled by caveat of a partisan uh, court. Uh, I've got just about 30 seconds here for you, Ernie. Your thoughts on that?
2: Well, the only thing is, you know, Liz Cheney made made a comment in her book about uh, progressive uh, uh, constitutional scholars tending to have an overly negative uh, uh, view of the court. And the one thing I can say is if you look at what happened in the aftermath of the uh, 2020 election when Trump was making all of these absurd arguments Mm -hmm. about having been cheated— The courts, including the Supreme Court, with the exception of uh, Clarence Thomas, said, no, we're not going to go there. So that very well could happen here.
1: I think it could happen here as well. We will see. I think you and I, Ernie, are in the minority on that. Uh, Everybody seems to think, oh, they're going to come up with some reason to not disqualify him. I wouldn't I'm,
2: bet the farm either direction.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not so sure. We will find out. It's going to be a hell of a week. Uh, thank you, Ernie. Ernie Canning is Bradblog.com's long-toiling legal analyst and contributor. Uh, he's a retired attorney, Vietnam vet, and during the 2016 presidential campaign, he served as a senior advisor to veterans for Bernie. Uh, hey, Ernie, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate it, and we'll be talking to you soon. Thank you, Brad. You bet. If you want to read Ernie's uh, piece on this, it's over at bradblog.com. Headline 50 SCOTUS Amici briefs underscore enormity of Trump ballot disqualification issue. All right. Quick break. And we are back with a another very wet green news report. <laughs> Yay! That's right. After a break, I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is supporting you and the things that you care about. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. Right now, as much as ever, if you choose to support us, you can do it really easily, safely, and quickly via bradblog.com donate. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. All right. Well, it's not just rain, unrelenting rain, that is slamming planet Earth this week, as discussed in our latest Green News Report. The storm for the history books. A sea of mud and debris.
0: Historic atmospheric river rains down state of emergency on California. Chile grapples with extreme heat and catastrophic wildfires. Plus, they're calling it Project 2025. Republicans' comprehensive plan to dismantle U.S. climate policy if a Republican wins the White House.
1: All of those scary plans and more straight ahead from Brandblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman.
0: And I'm Desi Doyen.
1: Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. It's Groundhog Day. It's always a big thing where the Puxatani fell up there. Right. Climate change. That's just a theory. But this. uh... Yep. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, we got those warnings about another atmospheric river, uh, storm of the century heading to Los Angeles. Well, this time it... Kind of was.
0: Yes, it was. In California, Governor Gavin Newsom has declared a state of emergency for parts of the state pummeled by a punishing atmospheric river that dumped torrential rainfall across much of the state over the weekend, killing at least three people as we go to air. Astonishing rainfall totals. Los Angeles received nearly its entire annual rainfall in a single day. Across the state, the storm overwhelmed stormwater and flood control systems, triggering flooding and mudslides, forcing evacuations and knocking out power to hundreds of thousands. Mm. At the same time, in central Chile, out-of-control wildfires have killed more than 120 people as we go to air, with hundreds more missing. The death toll is likely to rise. Chile's president announced two days of national mourning in what official say is the deadliest fire event in the country's history. Driven by high winds, fueled by a record heat wave, persistent drought, and low humidity, the fast-moving wildfires have destroyed more than 3,000 homes and obliterated entire neighborhoods in densely populated urban areas.
1: So record heat and fire in Chile, record rain and mudslides out here in Los Angeles at yep. the same time.
0: Yep, and in Spain at the same time. The state of Catalonia has declared a drought emergency, extending water use restrictions to the city of Barcelona amid the deepest drought in decades. The region's president says water reserves have fallen below 16% and that some areas have seen no rain in three years. While 80% of the region's water is consumed by agriculture, The Guardian reports that extended water restrictions are likely to fuel simmering resentment towards tourists Mm. who use more water than residents.
1: At this point, we can loan them some water.
0: While the disasters in Chile, California, and Spain are located very far apart, all three extreme weather events follow what was the hottest year ever recorded on land and in the oceans that intensified their destructive power on top of an exceptionally intense El Nino weather pattern. Studies show that climate change is increasing the intensity and duration of extreme weather events and the odds of weather whiplash events Mm. careening from drought to floods and back again Mm. like in california climate scientists warn that as humans continue burning fossil fuels and heating the atmosphere major storms extreme droughts and heat events are likely to get even more intense
1: man we suck
0: In other news, here in the U.S., you may have heard about a plan called Project 2025. That's a roadmap compiled by dozens of right-wing organizations for the next Republican president, whether Donald Trump or any other Republican in the November election.
1: Speaking of sucking.
0: On climate, the plan details how to rapidly unwind and dismantle U.S. climate policy and regulations, purging career civil servants and installing loyalists across the executive branch to carry it out. Project 2025 includes undoing Biden administration regulations that clean up the air and water, that restrict industrial pollution, and gutting climate research. White House policy advisors would focus on the needs of the fossil fuel industry, weakening the federal government's climate response across multiple federal agencies, and revoke any regulations that limit climate warming
1: emissions. So basically all of the landmark achievements of the Biden administration would be rolled back if a Republican takes the White House next year.
0: Exactly. Finally, some very good news. Europe appears to have escaped Russian President Vladimir Putin's attempts to use energy as blackmail. Russia cut off pipeline deliveries of natural gas early in its invasion of Ukraine to weaken European support for Ukraine's defense. Putin's gambit backfired, pushing the EU to accelerate its clean energy transition, helped by the U.S. surging exports of natural gas. So much so that in a recent interview on CNBC, Global Energy experts Expert Emrita San concluded. Even if there
1: was a scenario
0: where Putin isn't there, I just don't see how Russian gas comes back to Europe.
1: Well, that's good news until we get another Republican in the White House who rolls everything back. Yep. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been... Your Green News Report.
0: If I could turn back time. If I could turn back
1: time. Boy, they'd love to, wouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> True. Thank you very much, Desiree. That is our producer Desi Doyen. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it for free anytime. Share it, please, with anyone you like at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you kind enough to support our work by hitting one of those donate buttons or going straight to bradblog.com slash donate where we are celebrating now our 20 years of troublemaking and muckraking, all thanks to you. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks, Mastodons, and sites still known as Twitter, I am the Brad Blog. We'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.